Guys, again, Merry Christmas, and uh, let's jump in for today. I'm excited what we're going to talk about today. Let me pick up last week just to get it on our, on our radar, okay? Jesus and John the Baptist both said this, repent for the kingdom of God is in your face. It might not be their wording, but it's the right wording. The kingdom of God is in your face face. This line right here describes what the entire Christmas message is about. It describes what Jesus' entire ministry is about. It describes what Jesus' entire purpose in coming to this earth is about. Dare I say it is what the entire Bible is about. And here is what we're doing today. I want to take this line, the kingdom of God is in your face. Repent, the kingdom of God is in your face, and show you how the entire Bible, yes, the entire Bible, weaves into this central theme and plays out so that by the time we're done with this message in 20 minutes or so, you will have a framework of the entire Bible. You will know how the entire Bible fits. Do you believe me? All right. Well, some of you are good liars. All right. I want to encourage you today. The stuff that I'm going to share with you in many ways is very content-driven. And I encourage you to not just passively soak in what you're going to see, but take notes. Write it down. If you're someone who really wants to see how the Bible comes to life and how the pieces fit, stay with me in this. And what I think you're going to discover is that Christmas is so much deeper than even we who know how deep Christmas is actually is in reality. Are you with me? Now... The Old Testament does not use this phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And yet, without using that specific verbiage, it is absolutely obsessed with the idea. This is what the Old Testament is all about. That despite the fact that God is the creator and ruler over all, for whatever reason, in God's own purposes and design, he chose to be the special ruler of a special group of people that he selected not because they were special, but because he chose them to be special. And God, in selecting this special group of people, decided to exercise his rule and his reign in this world, in this creation, through them. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that the way that God exercised this rule and reign, despite being creator and ruler over all, he exercised it through this group of people in a very special way, through prophets, through priests, through judges, and through kings. And the entire purpose and thrust of God's exercising of his rule and reign through these prophets and priests and judges and kings was that Israel would therefore carry and convey God's blessings to everyone in all creation. Are you with me? Now, you read the Old Testament, and what you discover very quickly is that despite God's best intentions... His ability to rule and to reign through this special group of people is constantly frustrated, usurped, derailed, fought against, defied, and subverted. And much of what the Old Testament is about is the lament and the struggle of, of the people of God trying to figure out how this works and what God is calling them to do given this reality. And into that comes a prophetic voice. Prophets, spokesmen, and women of God that would pop up on the scene and come to speak in to a day that was going to come, a day of the Lord when the Lord would come himself to visit this earth. And when he would come, he would come 
to correct the misrule through the system that he set up. And when he came, he would bring vindication, judgment, grace, and all that was intended to be. Are you with me? Now, if you were to read through the Old Testament and start to summarize what this prophetic call was all about, you would start to see a number of themes start to come to the surface. Now, I want to show them to you today, and if you want to take notes, I encourage you even write them down, because what I'm about to show you stands as a key to understanding what the Old Testament hope is all about. These prophets, whether in singing through psalms or, or a spokesman who was out in a, in a court or, or walking through a village, would start proclaiming that when God came, it would be physical and real. God would dwell with his people. And with him would come a full forgiveness of sins, not dependent on the daily sacrifices of priests, not dependent on the righteousness of people, but that God would usher it in. They looked to a day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out in ways that had never been imagined. They looked to a day when despite all the puppet kings of Israel, David's heir would return and David's heir would rule on the throne and he would rule forever the way God intended it to be. They looked to a day when it was bigger than simply ethnic Israel. But that God would welcome all people, Gentiles from the four corners of the earth. And that together, Jew and Gentile, God's people would be changed into that which God had always intended they looked forward to a day when Israel would no longer be in darkness, when Israel would no longer be in exile, when Israel would no longer be in judgment, separated from the promised land that God had given them, but they would return and they would inherit that which God had promised from the beginning. They talked about how creation would respond. That when the power of God comes like that, the created order itself would echo out and respond in various ways to the presence of God. The dead would be raised, peace would pervade, enemies of God would finally be judged, and the people of God would be vindicated. And I encourage you, those of you who know the prophecies well, think about those classic Christmas prophecies that get read every, in every church this time of year. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light will dawn. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and David's heir will reign. Right? The mountains will drip new wine. The hills will flow with milk. The rugged places will become level and the rough ground a plain. And creation is responding. Do you see it? The lion will lay down with the lamb and the leopard and the lion and the goat will feed together. The infant will put his hand into the cobra's nest and they will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And peace will reign. And do you see how you can look um, and see this prophetic hope dripping out of these prophecies throughout the Bible that makes its way into this Christmas message that we speak. Are you with me? This right here, this trajectory and this hope, it is what the kingdom of God is all about. So that when Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of God is in your face. What he's in essence saying is repent because this is upon you. This right here, it is upon you and it is in your face. You don't want to miss it. Now, if you have this in mind, and if you've made a mental imprint of this, if you have notes before you, what you can do is then take it to the Christmas story. 
Take the story of the New Testament as recorded in Matthew and Luke. And what you begin to see is that there's something so much deeper than just Jesus being born. In fact, there's something so much deeper than just hope of the world coming. Because what you begin to see is that when Jesus comes into this world, it is nothing short of the inbreaking of God's kingdom and God bringing about everything that the people of the Old Testament yearned for here. Are you with me? Let me show you what I mean. See if you can keep up. Do you have these characteristics in your head? And so you start to go through the Christmas story and you see things like this. The Holy Spirit will be poured out and there's this angel Gabriel and he comes to this young teenage girl named Mary and he says, you're going to have a baby. And she goes, that's impossible, I'm a virgin. And what does Gabriel say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. A similar message comes to his, his, uh, Mary's uh, cousin, Elizabeth, as well, for her son, John. And look at the effect. It happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon Mary. A supernatural conception takes place. And even those who come into the presence of her, like Elizabeth, even hearing Mary speak, the Holy Spirit works and something happens. It says the baby leaped in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see the outpouring beginning to take place? Forgiveness of sins will be manifest. Gabriel comes to this man named Joseph who realizes his fiance is pregnant and it's not him. He's prepared to divorce her quietly. He doesn't want to expose her to ridicule, to shame, or to disgrace. But this angel Gabriel comes to him as well. And he says, no, she will give birth to a son and Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? because the forgiveness of sins will come from him. Why? Because isn't that what the kingdom of God is all about? He goes on and he says, all this took place, Matthew writes, commenting on the scene, what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? When the kingdom comes, God will be with his people. And what are we starting to see happen before our eyes with Jesus? And it goes on. The angel comes and says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What is it that the angels say to the shepherds out in the field, right? Today in the, the town of David, who cares what city it's in? You care if you're waiting for the kingdom of God. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the anointed one of David's line, the ruler, the Lord. And what do they proclaim? Interesting, isn't it? Why not enjoy the man on whom his favor rests? Why not forgiveness to men on whom his favor rests? Because when you're looking for the kingdom and you know what it's about and God is ushering in something that he is talking about from the days of old, to know that peace on earth is speaking so much more deeply than a mere holiday sentiment. It goes on. And we see amazing things. 
We see this man named Simeon in the temple eight days after Jesus is born, and he takes this baby. He doesn't know who he is, and he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, O God, which you prepared in the sight of all people. What? A light of revelation for Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And why is it that Matthew is so adamant about saying that magi from the east, pagan priests, astrologers, witches from the pagan east come and pay homage to Jesus? Because in that day, when all things are set right, as God had always intended, God's love and God's grasp and God's connection goes deeper than a select few. It's extended to all. And it goes on. And what do we see? Matthew's saying, Why do the Magi come? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Even the created order is in somehow responding and communicating and changing in such a way to herald the inbreaking of this incoming kingdom. Why? Because when the power and presence of God comes, as Jesus puts it, if they remain silent, even the stones will cry out. Amen? And creation responds. And the story goes on to say that there's this puppet king named Herod, technically of the line of David, well, at least kind of, sort of, a regent king sitting in his throne in his place. And when he realizes that the one of David's line is born, he's furious. And he gives orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. But how does the story end? Herod dies, not Jesus. And you see this judgment upon the people who stand against God's kingdom being poured out. And of course, God's people being changed. Zechariah cries out in a prayer when he discovers what's going on. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people of the Lord. Simeon himself says, after saying that this child will be a light to the Gentiles, that this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Think about that just for a moment. This child is destined to cause the rising and the falling among many of God's people. It's like when you come face to face with Jesus, nothing is ever the same. When you come face to face with Jesus, there becomes a fork in the road. And the same trajectory cannot be taken anymore because the effect in the reality of the kingdom of God is that it is in your face and it demands a choice. You can ignore it. You can hide from it. You can reject it or fight it. Or you can worship in wonder and awe. Even if you don't understand it, yet knowing that there is something bigger and deeper than anything imagined or dreamed standing right before you. And so it's no wonder to me that immediately in the Gospel of Luke after the Christmas story is concluded that the very next thing to happen is this. John the Baptist appears on the scene. And what does he say? Repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is in your face. It's like Luke saying, everything I've just told you about this, this Jesus and everything that was happening in him, don't miss it. Don't lose sight. The kingdom of heaven is in your face. And the question simply is, so now what? What do I do? See, the danger of Christmas is that it is so Christmassy. It has become so familiar that the stories of old lose their emotional impact and lull us into a certain kind of sleep. Are you with me? We hear the stories of the Old Testament. We hear the fulfillments of what Jesus did. Been there. Heard that. Done that. I wonder what we're doing for lunch today. Are, are, are you with me? And the danger for those of us who are the people of God is that Christmas can stand right before us and we can miss it. On Wednesday evenings, we've been doing this thing here at FOF called Ancient Christmas. We've been gathering in this room at night. We've been turning the lights off. It's nothing but candlelight and Christmas trees. And we read the Christmas prophecies of old. We sing the carols. And we've been reading these, these devotional insights from this man named Frederick Beekner. Not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. There was one that we read about this, the innkeeper. What was Christmas like from the innkeeper's eyes? And as the innkeeper recounts the stories, he talks about how, yeah, I do kind of remember that night, but you know, I'm a busy man. And I get judged in the Christmas story. But do you know what it takes to run an inn? Do you know the million details that need to be attended to? The constant attention and demand that's constantly put upon you. I remember it well. And he was standing right there before my eyes. And I missed him. I wonder how many of us, despite being surrounded by Christmas, miss him. What does it mean when John tells you, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near? Because this child Jesus will cause the rising and the falling of many among the people of God, even right here. And this, this, this little message that John says is the difference between which side of that equation you find yourself on. My encouragement and my prayer for you this season is to not lose wonder and awe at what actually happened that day. To not lose sight of why it happened. Why it's so significant. Of what God is trying to tell you. The question is, are you listening? And while you are what is your response? Will you ignore it? Will you hide from it? Will you reject it? Or stand in wonder and awe and worship? Even if it's bigger than our human imagination. I want to submit to you the answer to that question for you. 
is all the difference for Christmas. So guys, I want to invite you to rise and just uh, pray with me if you would. God, there's more wrapped up in seven words than I think we can even contain. God, you call us to repent, to turn to you, to turn and look again, to turn in worship, to turn and bow in awe. God, may we not lose sight of what Christmas is about, but my prayer, God, is that we care. Is that we rediscover wonder and awe again. The mysteries you've uttered from old. What you've revealed about that day. And may we live that way as though the kingdom has come. As though the kingdom is here. As though the kingdom continues to advance. God, turn our hearts. Turn our hearts towards a manger to see the kingdom of God in our face. Lord, we pray. Amen.